Thanks very much, Christine. Let's pray, shall we, and ask God to speak to us as we open up his word this morning. Father God, thank you for this season. Thank you for the good news that we are remembering and marking. May we not rush through it, but pause to listen to your voice speaking. Thank you for your word, and we pray that our hearts will be open to receive your promises and your words this morning. And as we pray your help to understand, we pray also your help to respond in trust and love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Christmas is still in our culture, isn't it? A major holiday, whether or not people are Christians or committed to the Christian faith at all. In our secular culture, Christmas still has a massive place, in fact, probably a growing place um, at the moment. Now, of course, the origins of Christmas are deeply Christian. The origins go right back to this story, to the remarkable events of that first Christmas, which the Gospels record for us, historical events, which Luke's very keen to point out, at the beginning of his gospel, are historical events. His first few verses in chapter 1, he's keen to to say he has researched with the eyewitnesses and recorded carefully all that happened. So it's historical Christmas. It's not a myth. Not just a nice sentimental tale. But it's become also, of course, um, a cultural celebration. So we have the decorations We have the trees, we have the lights, we have the giving and receiving of presents, and so on. All of the stuff that happens in our culture, and of course, it's also become increasingly not just a a sort of midwinter family festival, which is a kind of lovely thing to have, isn't it? But it's become a very commercial festival too, especially in recent years. So it's surely a good thing that we can celebrate these things in our culture the good things of Christmas, with the world around us, with our families, and enjoy this season. But it is interesting that many of the customs I've just mentioned, the lights, the giving of gifts, and so on, themselves have very clear Christian origins. In fact, Christmas origins. Striking that the big themes of Christmas, the light, the gifts, are much more than just customs, but are symbolic of the Christian message and actually have not just um, joy and hope in them but challenge as well. For instance, we give gifts, don't we, to remind us not just that we love each other but that God's supreme gift to us of his son Jesus humbles us. It's a gift he gave to us because we have to assume, don't we, we needed it. We needed God's intervention, God's help, God's gift. So the giving of gifts points to the human need for the gospel. The light theme of Christmas, light and dark, huge theme at this time of year, is a vivid reminder of the darkness of the human heart into which we need God's light, Christ, to shine. So right here in these symbols of Christmas actually are quite big clues to the heart of the gospel and quite big challenges 
to recognize our need of it. And that's a, a way that we could pursue these things in conversation with our non-Christian friends and families. Why is light such a big theme, such a great theme this time of year? I wonder how they'd answer that. So as we look at this passage this morning, I say we'll look a little bit differently this morning from this evening. We're going to look not just at Mary and the angel's appearance and the encounter, the, what's called the annunciation, the announcing of the conception of Jesus in her womb. But we're going to look at Zechariah as well from the first section of chapter 1 because there's a fascinating comparison and contrast between the angel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah and his response and the angel appearing to Mary in our reading and her response. Three quick headings to help us to get our heads around this. The first one is this, that Christmas is a leveler of status. Zechariah, in the first part of the chapter, had a very important job. He is a priest. So if you do just turn back over the page, if you've got Luke's Gospel open still, that would be helpful. Page 1023, Zechariah is a priest. Luke 1 verse 5. His wife Elizabeth is also from priestly descent. And we're told that they are, they're godly, they're righteous people, but they, verse 7, sadly have no children. And they are both elderly. Not only is he a priest, married to someone from a similar significant line, Zechariah is working in Jerusalem. He's working in the temple uh, where there was a period of service for the priest. They came and they did a month or so serving there. And he's in the temple doing his part, this very important center of Israel's faith in the capital city of Israel. So he's got this very significant role. Rather like being, I don't know, sort of senior management at Aviva in Norwich. It's, it's kind of that important. Very much, you know, city, big, important, high-status job. And what happens, that's where the angel appears to him. And you think, well, that's what should happen. That's where angels should appear to people. In the temple, to an important, elderly, respected man like Zechariah. Contrast him with Mary. This is where Christmas is a leveler of status. Mary, in our reading, verse 26, well, we're not told much about her, are we? She's not even given a name to start with, verse 27. She's just a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. His name is given first, for goodness sake. What are Mary's family like? Well, we're not told, are we? All we know is she's uh, the, the betrothed of Joseph, whose family, we are told, are in the line of David. So Mary is a nobody. We're told nothing except she's a young woman. She's probably about 15 years old, a young woman engaged to someone called Joseph from David's line. See the contrast of status there. Where is Mary? Well, she's not in Jerusalem at all, is she? She's certainly not in the temple. She's certainly not a, a priest. She's not even in Jerusalem. She's in Galilee in a town called Nazareth. So again, this is rather like, you know, being um, up somewhere the other side of Aylsham. It's, you know, it's the back of beyond. And here's Zechariah, this senior, respected, 
priest doing his duty in the heart of the temple in Jerusalem. And here's Mary, this, this young, unknown, obscure 15-year-old woman in the middle of nowhere. And the angel appears to her too. That says something, doesn't it, about the grace of God who doesn't just reveal himself to the high and the mighty and the great, but to the, to the obscure, to the lowly, to the unknown. And I guess for some of us this morning, we might count ourselves among the high and the mighty and the great. I suspect, like me, many of us would think, well, I'm just the ordinary. And God speaks to us too. Isn't that wonderful? That's the leveller that Christmas is. And the angel, of course, brings a greeting to both of them. Um, Mary is told that she is going to give birth to a son and call him Jesus. She has been favoured by God. That word in verse 28, greetings, you who are highly favoured. That's again about God's choice of low status. Uh, You might translate it, you've been shown God's grace or God's love. He's not chosen you because you are important and significant and famous or even because you're particularly righteous, let alone perfect morally. He's chosen you because he's chosen you. He's favoured you. He's graced you. That's how Christmas levels all of us. There's no hierarchy of the good and the morally questionable, the important and the unimportant. God, Christ, comes to us all, whoever we are. And if that's you this morning, that's news for you, that you thought that you were beyond the pale, that God couldn't speak to you, Hear that good news this morning, that God speaks to the ordinary, the obscure, the unknown, those that least thought they deserved him to do that. So here is this extraordinary thing. Christmas levels our status, but it also, Christmas has not just one, but two miracles going on here. Did you see that? Zechariah, his wife experiences a miracle, but so of course does Mary. So just flip back over the page again to Zechariah's story and and Elizabeth, his wife. They're both elderly, remember? They are childless, sadly. And Zechariah sees a vision of the angel in verse 11. And the angel says, verse 13, Don't be afraid, your prayer's been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. This is, of course, to be John the Baptist who will lead the way ahead of Jesus, preparing people for him. Uh, And Zechariah is given this extraordinary news that he and his wife, against all the medical odds, will conceive a child. And again, for people this morning, this may be a a sensitive topic for some of us this morning. Um, And sadly, this kind of miracle isn't even common in the Bible. Um, let alone, of course, in normal human experience. But there are two or three times in the Bible where this takes place. Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament would be another great example where God intervenes through a miracle to give hope, to give life to a couple that had no hope of it. And, of course, it's a miracle that takes place through normal human relationships, through a man and a woman coming together and conceiving a child. It's just done in extraordinary circumstances in their old age when they had thought they would be childless. 
That's the miracle that Zechariah experiences, and it's a wonderful miracle, and it's a tremendous promise, and he becomes the father, Elizabeth the mother, of none other than John the Baptist. What a privilege, what an honor. But then look at the miracle that is given to Mary, or through Mary. Again, turning over the page, back to our reading. The angel appears to Mary and says, you are highly favored. She wonders, verse 29, it's it's a strong word, greatly troubled. She's absolutely upside down, thinking, what can this mean? You know, she got up this morning thinking, I'm just going to finish my homework today. And the angel appears and says, God's chosen you. And she thinks, what's this all about? And the angel explains, and it gets even more baffling. Don't be afraid, verse 30, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great, be called the, most, the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. What an extraordinary miracle. And no wonder she says at the end of that, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I'm not married. How can this happen? Of course, the answer is it's, it's not going to be normal human effort. God is going to send the saviour, Jesus. His name means he saves. God saves. He is going to be the king of kings, the one promised of David's line. But unlike David's line, he won't die out. He won't pass it on. He will reign forever. His kingdom will outlast the generations. And how will this be? says Mary, since John, Joseph and I aren't married yet, and she, you know, she's a good Jewish girl, she knows how things work. Well, it's God. It's the miracle. It's God's intervention completely. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon her. Jesus will be conceived of the Spirit. Not just like John the Baptist, who was born of human means, but then filled with the Spirit. Jesus, God's Son will come to be of the Holy Spirit. Yes, human agency in Mary, that's the wonderful grace of God, but divine agency in conception of the Holy Spirit. The mighty one, the the power of the Most High will overshadow you, the angel says as well. The glorious divinity of God will come over this young, obscure Jewish woman and the life of God will be generated in her, created God's son on earth. And only this way, God is saying, only this way, by a direct intervention from me, not through normal human means, but by my intervention, can the saviour come. Only by a miracle. And as if to prove that nothing's impossible with God, the angel points out that Mary's elderly relative, Elizabeth, as we've seen, is already expecting. John the Baptist on the way. In her old age, says Gabriel, your cousin is expecting. If God can do that, why can't he do this too? So two kinds of miracle here, aren't there? The, the miracle that's extraordinary and gracious but done through what you might call normal human means. And then the miracle of Christmas, the virgin conception, which is done entirely through God's agency and God's powerful, gracious overshadowing. And that's why Christmas 
has changed the world. Because the human race had no hope, no hope without that. If it was left to our means and our agencies to fix the world's problems, we would fail. We have no cure for evil, for cruelty, for oppression, for the human sin inside us. But God has come from on high and made himself one of us. So lastly, Christmas is also a gift to be received. Zechariah and Mary have one more contrast here. Did you notice this? If you've just glanced over Zechariah's reading just now. Zechariah was given the promise of a child in old age. In verse 18, he asked the angel, you might say understandably, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. It's understandable, isn't it? He cannot see humanly how this can happen. They've tried for a child. It didn't happen. They're old now. And he expresses his doubt. He won't believe it. And as a result of his doubt, his lack of faith, he is struck dumb, isn't he? If you know the story, until the birth of John, when he's allowed to speak again. as a sign that he should have trusted God's promises, God's words to him. And if faith is simply trusting God's words to us, Zechariah sadly falls short. But there are two kinds of faith in this story too, aren't there? Or or two responses of faith. Zechariah hears the words, won't believe them. Mary hears the words, yes, she again questions them. If you turn back to Mary again, verse 34, how will this be? Rather like Zechariah asked, since I'm a virgin, how will this be? But where Zechariah refused to believe, Mary accepts. The angel simply says, well, God's going to do this. It's the Holy Spirit will come on you. And she simply says in those great words at the end of faith, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me. May it be to me as you have said. If faith is trusting the words of the Lord, and that's a good definition of faith in the Bible, trusting God's words to us, Zechariah sadly falls short, but Mary wonderfully comes up to it. If Christmas is a gift from God to us, Zechariah spurns it, doesn't it, at least initially. But Mary receives it open-handed. I don't understand this. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why you've chosen me but I accept your words. Mary shows faith. Mary receives the gift. And gifts aren't always easy to receive, are they? Um, Sometimes we find it hard to receive gifts ourselves, including the gift of Jesus. Um, There's a nice little story about a girl who was given a present by her grandmother, some gloves, and after Christmas she wrote to her to say thank you, as she'd been trained to do, Dear Grandma, thank you for the presents. Um, Thank you for the gloves gloves you gave me. They were something I wanted, but she said, not very much. Uh, And God's gifts to us sometimes are not only only half-wanted, but actually unwelcome. The gift of Christ can be unwelcome to us if we are struggling to accept that we need him. If we are thinking, I'll go my own way... I will save myself. I will be in control of my life. If, like Zechariah, we won't let go and let God do things that he wants to do for us, if we won't receive his promise, we're spurning the gift as he did. 
But if, like Mary, we receive it open-handed and say, I don't understand this, but I trust you. I, I don't like the feeling of letting, control, letting go of control, but I will nonetheless do so. We are receiving the gift with faith. And if, again, that's you this morning. I'd encourage you really to keep coming. Come to the carol service tonight. Keep exploring this story. Keep listening to the words of God to us and trust in the gift of Christ that he is. Christmas is good news. It's a miracle. It's a surprise. It's a challenge. But it is a gift to us to be received by trust and faith. And if you want to explore further, uh, do pick up one of these green books afterwards. They have a, a great way of explaining these early stories of Luke's Gospel too. And keep searching as Mary did for the gift of Christ and receive him in your hearts. Let's pray together now. In a few minutes, the communion service, the bread and the wine, are a powerful sign to us of how we can only come to God with empty hands. We can't control life or salvation. We only come with empty hands to receive it. Through what Christ has done in his life and his death on the cross for our sins. So a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christmas levels us. Whatever our human status, your grace is available to us, your love. Thank you that Christmas is also a miracle of your gracious intervention to save us in the life and the death of your Son. And that by your Spirit, you've brought hope to the world in the birth of Christ. And thank you that you invite every one of us, whoever we are, to receive this gift by faith. For those of us that are still searching, we pray that you'll give us trust in your promises as we read your words. And for us all, may we go from here this week to live in trust and point others to the gift of Christ this Christmas. In his name we pray. Amen.